everyone. Welcome once again to the Sunny Go One Piece podcast, and we are now on episode ten, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, I don't know really what to say other than yay, ten episodes. On this episode, we're going to be talking about anime episodes twenty-eight through thirty, which will be covering manga chapters sixty-three through sixty-eight, and. This episode will be covering the epic conclusion to the Baratier arc and the introduction of our newest Straw Hat pirate crew member. Without any further ado, let's get going with the synopsis. So with Gin giving up his mask to save Sanji and Luffy from Krieg's gas, he's left on the brink of death. Krieg now mocking his own commander for having emotions of all things. Luffy takes it upon himself to take on Krieg for Gin and to show that Krieg's way of being a pirate is wrong in fact and through sheer will endurance and determination Luffy takes on all of Krieg's tricks and traps and eventually comes out victorious Sanji with seeing how Luffy fights tooth and nail for his dreams and with some convincing from Zeph as well as everybody else from Baratier decides to join Luffy on their journey to pursue his own dreams as they get word from Yosak that they have finally figured out where Nami is headed and it is not a good place all right, let's get into the differences. Now, there aren't as many like major differences as there were in the last set of episodes, but there are quite a few little small ones that uh, keep popping up throughout all these episodes. Most of them, I think, were just cut for pacing and time issues, uh, as well as maybe animation budget, maybe. And then also a few that were changed because of uh, a less lessening of the violence and blood. So, like for example, the first one, where it's interesting that Luffy in the manga, when he first attacks Krieg, he only actually gets shot by one peg in the manga. However, he gets shot three times in the anime, which is odd. But while he's ripping them out, he actually only takes the one that gets he gets shot by and he holds it up to show his bloodied fist with the holes from punching the Kenzan cape. And he declares that this won't be his deathbed as Krieg had stated earlier. Now, obviously, this scene, they probably changed this because of just how gruesome Luffy's fist looks with all the holes in it and there's just blood just dripping down it. Uh, The next one is one subtle difference in the scene where Luffy is caught in the net. In the manga, he appears to look more intense instead of the happy-go-lucky attitude he shows in the anime. Like, he seems excited in the anime at getting his hands and legs free. But in in the manga, he actually looks not scared, but more determined than anything. He's just kind of over Krieg's crap and once he gets his arms and legs free he just like goes all out with the uh the great gavel and then there's also a cut scene here of Krieg's men attempting to shoot Luffy while he's in the net and falling but then Sanji intervenes and kicks a couple of their weapons out of their hands and steps on a couple of their faces as they're floating in the water to defend Luffy as well as to make sure that they don't interfere with his duel And I'm not sure why this was actually cut, as it only lasts like a split second, but I feel like it goes a long way to showing Sanji becoming that support for Luffy that he'll eventually go on to become as one of his crew members. And so, I don't know, I actually really like this scene, and I'm not sure why they cut it, because literally it only adds like maybe two, three seconds at most. And then there's another scene where Ging is carrying Krieg, and telling Sanji about his plans to set sail with a renewed determination under his own will this time. 
But during this speech, he coughs up a lot of blood in the manga as he's still dealing with the after effects of the poison. And it kind of makes what he says in the anime about only having a few hours left to live, or maybe only having a few hours left to live, a bit more weight because you see him actually physically struggling. Whereas in the anime, it's more or less the same thing, but he seems fine. He, he doesn't seem to be feeling any effects from a poison that like made him look like he was just about on the brink of death. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess this is just an excuse to make it so that they don't have to show as much blood and we still get the same uh, effect across. And then finally, the last minor difference is we get a few more quick memories of Sanji during his time at the Bharati as he reminisces. We see a few more memories as an adult as well, whereas in the anime, we only got to see a couple memories as a kid. And there's actually a really nice and funny scene that was left out where a customer badmouth Zeph saying he heard a rumor that the restaurant is owned by a failed pirate and Sanji promptly beats him up while one of the other chefs runs to get Zeph so that he can hold Sanji back and stop him but then <laughs> Zeph ends up kicking the customer too saying it's your fault for doing something that would get you beat up in the first place and it's kind of adding to that theme of what loyalty between a superior and a subordinate should be in that you trust your people and stand by them because you know them and trust their judgment well enough to have recruited them in the first place. So I, I like that little symmetry in the themes. And it's also a nice little connection with Zef and Sanji that showing that, yeah, while contentious, they actually were very similar in many respects. All right, with the differences out of the way, let's move on to the episode itself. So the episodes begin right where we left off with the last one, with the cliffhanger that the MH5 poison bomb is actually incoming, and Luffy, with no gas mask, is panicking as he gave the last two masks that he was able to get a hold of to Gin and Sanji. And <laughs> Luffy's panic, dosho, 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 or what do I do, what do I do, what do I do, is classic. I love seeing that face and the way that line is delivered. It's pretty funny to see in both the manga and the anime. And all of a sudden, a gas mask just lands right next to him in the nick of time saving him. But once the gas clears, it becomes clear, pun intended, where that mask came from. Gin sacrificed himself and gave his mask to Luffy while keeping Sanji's mask on him and getting poisoned in the process. This scene is heartbreaking and brutal, seeing Gin like that on the brink of death, just struggling to breathe and coughing up blood. And through all of that, he's still loyal to Don Krieg, even after the process of just trying to kill him with no remorse whatsoever. And this is really where the contrast of how Gin's loyalty is recognized and rewarded in the eyes of a captain like Krieg versus how just a few episodes ago, Luffy treats his crew's loyalty. And Oda just gives you another reason to hate this guy. And by this point, you just want Luffy to beat his ass so badly. It's just heartbreaking to see Gein like that on the verge of death and with his loyalty just placed in the wrong person and suffering immensely because of it. It's not quite over for Gein yet as Zeph tells him to hold the gas mask to his face and let him breathe the detox effects of it to help him while Luffy tells Gein not to give up and die for a man like Krieg. And now here we go go luffy is finally going to take on krieg by this point we're so hyped for this fight that not so much because of the combat itself but we're all pretty aware that luffy could kick this guy's ass pretty easily but more so 
of just how ideologically these two are opposed when it comes to being pirates with Kriegsway being so freaking detestable. And you just want to see a person like that just get pounded into the ground to show everyone that is unequivocally the wrong way. Alright, so the Luffy versus Krieg fight is here. We finally get to see it in action. It kept getting teased, but then pulled back uh, throughout this arc, I guess. But now we're really getting into it. First, his Kenzan cape, or needlepoint cape. I think in the Netflix translation, they call it the porcupine cape, which is also another really weird translation. And right off the bat, Krieg pulls out this ridiculous cape with spikes all over it to dissuade anyone from trying to physically strike him. Which means not only does he not fight fair, he generally tries to win without even fighting at all. Also, where the hell does he keep his cape? It's freaking huge with spikes all over it. It just doesn't seem like it would fit anywhere in his armor, but whatever. Um, But we see Luffy deliver another one of his signature satisfying punches, punching right into the cape and through it, landing a huge blow on Krieg's face. This punch is so damn satisfying because this entire time Krieg has just had this smug and cocky air about him, not to mention all the incredible amount of suffering he's caused all of our favorite characters up to this point. And for like eight episodes, you've wanted to see someone put this guy in his place and we finally get to see it with this immensely satisfying blow. Not only that, but the fact that he doesn't expect it Because no one in their right mind would punch through that thing bare-fisted. But Luffy does, because he's insane. I love the reaction of everybody on both sides to this, because it's exactly the same reaction we'd all have, including myself, just of sympathetic pain, like just waving our hands like, ugh. Like I mentioned in the differences in the manga, Luffy actually holds up one of those pegs that he gets shot by while he's running towards him just before he punches, and points his fist at Krieg while holding it, and you see the holes in his fist, too. Ugh, gosh, it is tough to watch sometimes. I can see why they didn't animate that. This fight continues, and he pulls out gadget and trick after trick until he gets to his spear he calls the Daisenso, or the Great War Spear, that's composed of his two shoulder armor plates that also explode on impact. For a while, Luffy just seems to be attacking and getting blown up over and over. Seeing this, Zeph makes an observation about even with all of Krieg's arsenal of tricks and weapons, there's still no match for that one spear of faith and determination that Luffy has in his gut. While at the same time, he makes an offhanded comment about someone who he knows who's actively suppressing that spear of faith and determination. And clearly, he's talking about Sanji here as we start to get the picture that Zeph understands it's high time Sanji should go out and pursue that dream of finding the all blue. But of course, out of guilt, Sanji is still stubbornly staying. And since they can't speak openly to each other without it erupting into a shouting match, this is the only way Zeph knows how to reach Sanji. And I like that little touch of Zeph still caring about the person, but because they're both so bad at communicating, they just kind of have to offhandedly and indirectly talk to each other. Also during this sequence, we get to see another famous staple of Luffy's character, and it's his absurd determination and endurance. This will go on to define Luffy physically and mentally, and one of the first things you think of when you talk about Luffy's combat style, this is where it all begins. It's always really great to watch or read this, especially as a kid, because Luffy is always the physically smaller and often weaker person in the duel with the main villain, 
But he comes out on top because he never gives up. No matter what, Luffy will always get up. And no matter how many times he's knocked down or even defeated, he just keeps on getting up. I know for me, watching Luffy over the years has really led me to build this sort of resiliency and determination in real life. Obviously, I'm not getting beat up or anything, but it holds true for a lot of different scenarios in life. And I use this resiliency and determination inspiration in my own life with obstacles and challenges with that same attitude of always getting up and pushing ahead. Before I move on, there's always one thing that bothered me about this fight from a narrative standpoint. It's mentioned that Luffy sustains heavy blood loss and is losing a bit of motor function And if the fight goes on for too long, he could pass out or be incapacitated. However, as big of a deal this is pointed out to be, at no point does this ever become a factor in the rest of the fight. He's not weakened in any way, nor having trouble moving or concentrating at all. So I feel like this point was unnecessarily included or a wasted opportunity to inject some more excitement and stakes into the fight. And it just seemed like a really throwaway scene that doesn't need to be there but i mean that's a really small gripe in the in the grand scheme of things luffy does eventually break the daisenso spear and works his way through the golden armor as well and it begins to crack but by this point luffy has taken a substantial amount of hits and damage he uses gomu gomu no bazooka but krieg is still okay but his armor starts to crack And out of the smoke, Luffy shows up once again with a burst of that epic music and comes crashing down on Krieg with another Gomu Gomu no Bazooka, shattering the armor this time and finally dealing that killing blow on Krieg, or so we thought. Krieg is still conscious and decides to trap Luffy in a steel net and tries to drag him into the water where he knows a devil fruit user won't be able to survive, but yet again, Luffy not being deterred, freezes arms and legs and begins to wrap them around Krieg's face to finally finish him off with a Gomu Gomu no Great Gavel. And damn, that last hit is so satisfying because it just comes crashing down onto the deck. I mean, that would normally kill a person, but, you know, this is an anime. Finally having defeated Krieg, Luffy crashes into the water still caught in the net while Zeph tells Sanji to go rescue him as Sanji doesn't realize that the Devil Fruit users can't swim. And I love the symbolism here of Sanji tossing his shoes and coat And they happen to land next to and on Luffy's straw hat as if to protect it like he'll end up doing once he's in the crew. There's also a great moment of Sanji when Luffy frees his arms from the net during the climax of the fight, seeing how Luffy never gives up no matter what, and starts to realize that this guy is something special and begins to awaken that same suppressed drive in himself as Zeph had mentioned earlier. Then when he's saving Luffy, he recalls how now both Luffy and Zoro have just shown him that these people are all crazy idiots that are willing to sacrifice their lives for their dreams. And Sanji then reminds himself that he too has a dream he'd actually die for to find the All Blue. Gim miraculously is up and moving. (laughs) I don't know. He's he's superhuman, obviously. But decides to take Krieg and and restart his life as a pirate with, with his own way, not under the rule of Krieg. And inspired by seeing Luffy, Zoro, and Sanji, this arc, I know I sound like a broken record at this point, but again, this is the beauty of One Piece and Oda's writing. The care he puts into Gin's story, a henchman of the main villain, has this good of a character arc and growth is just astounding. And like I've been alluding to in the past few podcasts, I love the character of Gin and hope to see him again in some way in the future because 
of how well written this character is in just this one arc. Also, the scene where Gein loads all of the Dawn Creek pirates onto the supply boat. There is a little fun Easter egg here that Oda loves to throw in, I think starting from now. And I believe this is the first time he shows up in, in the boat. You'll see this weird panda-looking guy near the top of the pile uh, holding up a peace sign. And this is Panda Man, a random fictional character Oda likes to throw in in almost like a Where's Waldo type of thing in the manga and anime. In the manga, he's way harder to find as the books are all in black and white and he's much smaller, like a normal skinny dude with a panda head. In the anime, he's huge and has this muscular design like a wrestler. And this is due to Oda being a fan of American wrestling, like the WWE and stuff. And we'll continue to look for Panda Man in the series. This guy shows up everywhere and anywhere. Like under the cover of the manga, in the opening theme animations, in the and in the back of uh, the manga as well. And just hidden in the background of any scene. And it's pretty crazy. I have not been able to find every single Panda Man sighting. But it's really fun and kind of uh, rewarding to actually find uh, Panda Man when you're actually reading through or watching the series. So just before the end of episode 29, we get a brief scene cutting back to Nami. This is the scene I was referring to back in episode 8 during the Zoro versus Mihawk fight that was cut and moved to here. So this is Nami's reaction to betraying and leaving the Straw Hats, and it's heartbreaking. We knew that there's no way she'd willingly betray them. Clearly she's got a reason or, or is even being coerced into doing what she did. This isn't really any surprise to most of us who have paid attention. Nami has been a selfish and manipulative person, but at the end of the day, she's a kind person with her heart in the right place. And we see that in her actions more so than her words. This scene, seeing that she really did enjoy being with the crew and wanted to remain with them, but she's trapped for some reason wanting to be set free and calling out to someone named Bellamere. This scene is always really sad, even more so once you find out what the whole story is, and is played excellently by Akemi Okumura. Moving on to episode 30, Luffy has recovered from his injuries and is on his pursuit of recruiting Sanji again, but he still declines, stating he can't leave, yet he will eventually want to go out to sea. The moment where he starts telling Luffy about the all blue and Zeph looking down, seeing how happy and excited he is, always brings a smile to my face as it shows Zeph really does love Sanji as a surrogate father and wants the best for him, and he doesn't want to see him suppress his dream any longer. In an effort to get Sanji to leave and pursue his dream, Zeph and the other chefs all try to drive him out by telling him that they can't stand him anymore and his bad cooking. It's quote-unquote bad cooking, because they all can't express their emotions in a straightforward and healthy way. But Sanji overhears them telling Luffy that... Everyone there respects and admires his cooking and wants to see him happy and asks Luffy to take him out, but now Luffy refuses as he doesn't want to force Sanji to join, which we start to see Luffy's dedication to the concept of people's freedom and being free long before he ever explicitly verbalizes it later on in the series. This philosophy would go on to define how Luffy actually lives his life and how he treats other people. This whole scene is really touching to see, but the best is still yet to come. Suddenly, Yosak washes up on the Baratia half-eaten by a pan shark, which I love, by the way. It's just a shark with panda markings. I don't know this for sure, but I think with Panda Man and now this pan shark, 
The panda may be Oda's favorite animal. <laughs> I don't know this for sure, as I've never seen a source on this, but you kind of get the sense. We get a bit of foreshadowing with a throwaway line from one of the random chefs about how he looks like a merman. I'll leave it at that for now. Yosaka informs Luffy where they think Nami is headed and realizes it's some bad news and they'll need Luffy's strength to help them out. Luffy decides to leave at once but not before Sanji finally decides to join Luffy and his crew and accept the position of their cook. We now officially have our fifth member of the Straw Hat Pirate crew making up the original five teased in the opening theme. As everyone prepares to leave, Sanji reminisces over his time with Zeph establishing the Baratier and learning to become a chef. These scenes are touching and also hilarious at the same time. I love especially that little scene with Zeph bonking Sanji over the head with his comically large chef's hat while it's still on his head so he's just bowing over and over. <laughs> we also get to see Luffy stocking up on meat for the trip, which judging by how long it took Yosak to get there and back should only be like a day-long trip. And we see him stocking up for like what appears to be like a month's worth of meat, <laughs> which is also pretty funny. Zeph offers Luffy his logbook from his time in the Grand Line, but obviously Luffy declines because he wants to forge his own path. And next, we finally get to what I call another iconic One Piece moment. This is another one of those moments that was burned into my memory the first time I read it and also watched this. And fun fact, this was actually the first thing I ever saw of One Piece. I remember I went over to my friend's place and he was watching this and so I watched with him. Around this time this actually aired on TV and I had no context but even then it was a pretty powerful moment. And once I got around to actually reading it all the way up to this moment, it was incredible. The moment I am of course referring to is Sanji leaving and saying goodbye to Zeph and everyone at the Baratier. The scene starts off with first Sanji and everyone trying to leave in silence to keep up that stoic tough guy facade but then Zeph says to Sanji not to catch a cold and with this it hits Sanji just how much this man has sacrificed and actually cares for Sanji like a ton of bricks. He immediately turns around bows while bawling and expressing immense gratitude to Zeph for everything he's done and sacrificed for him and that he'll always remember the great debt that he owes him. This then just opens the floodgates as everyone begins to feel sad about Sanji leaving and starts to cry and express how much they will miss him and this seems to legitimately surprise Sanji as he must have thought that they all kind of also really didn't like him as much as they do. Zeph then makes a comment half-heartedly about how men are supposed to part ways quietly, but we see him crying as well too. As Sanji sets off, they're all really happy to see him finally get to pursue his dreams. And there's just something about Sanji happily waving goodbye with tears in his eyes and hoping to see them all again. It just really makes me smile and kind of brings a tear to my eye. I think for me, the reason this scene is so special beyond just how beautifully it's set up throughout the entire arc and how it's executed here, is how powerful the message is, especially for me as a guy. And while being at that age of, I think I was around 12 or 13 years old at the time when I first read this, was seeing how it's okay for guys to express emotion and cry. And not just tear up, but like full-on ugly cry. And I mean, twice in this arc alone, we get to see two of the series' main tough guy protagonists, Zoro and Sanji, cry and not show any hint of shame at that. And not just that, but no one person 
comments on that in, in a disparaging way either. And in fact, in this scene, everyone feels the same way and are willing to show it, as well as including the most tough and grizzled looking Zeph also crying. I just think this was a great moment, both in and out of the story, which is why to me, it's another one of One Piece's iconic moments that will live forever. And with that ending point, we now finish the Bharati arc. And as I did with the Syrup Village arc, I wanted to do a little mini review of the arc as a whole. And on the whole, I really like this arc. The story takes a big step forward towards expanding the world with more details of the Grand Line and the introduction of Mihawk, giving us a taste of what awaits our heroes as their journey continues. The addition of Sanji was great, as well as getting to learn more about Zef and the other chefs. Like I mentioned, this was a step up for Oda in storytelling by integrating the backstory flashback in the main plot of the arc, although he still has a couple more steps to go, but he'll eventually get there. Trust me. The action also continues to improve with much more intense fight choreography as well as more added stakes to create more investment from us, the audience. Krieg isn't the most complex or deepest of villains to the point where he's pretty one-dimensional, but Oda does build him up well enough for us to hate him and get us invested in him being beat up in the end. So I think that was a win. I also really like how this arc really highlights Luffy's endurance and determination. And it's something that I noticed that as the arcs have been progressing, they've been slowly feeding us information on Luffy like the first couple arcs, including Orange Town. We got to know Luffy's Gomu Gomu powers and what he's capable of. And then Syrup Village kind of highlights Luffy's devotion to his crew and his nakama. With some of the series' more iconic moments and the addition of a new crewmate, it makes the Baratie egg one to remember, and I always look back fondly when I think about the Baratie arc. Well, with another arc over and a new crew member acquired, we are off to retrieve the, another one that left us. And I can't tell you how excited I am to cover the coming Arlong Park arc because while I was personally pretty much hooked on One Piece from the very beginning, the Arlong Park arc, this is the point where everybody unanimously agrees that you become a diehard fan of One Piece. It goes from a fun series to something legendary during the Arlong Park. And I honestly cannot wait to discuss this with you all in the future episodes. If you enjoyed this, send me a like or a comment. And if you want to join me on this adventure of rewatching One Piece, please consider subscribing. I was recently just added to iHeartRadio and uh, Amazon Podcasts, so check me out on those platforms. Also, you can check out my Instagram and Twitter account at SunnyGoPodcast if you want to see updates of when I post new episodes or see some pictures of my manga collection. And also, I've started to upload some pictures of just random One Piece stuff throughout my life. Um, I think I've got pictures up on the Baratier visit from um, a few years ago. Unfortunately, that place is now closed, but you can see some pictures of when I was there. (laughs) And as always, I wanted to thank you for taking the time to listen to my podcast, and I hope to see you on the next episode. Or stay tuned for a very small spoiler section. I don't really have too much to talk about in this episode, but I do have one or two things. So yeah, spoiler section. No real spoilers, I guess, from here. Um, Other than to say that I am super pumped for Arlong Park. But there is one thing I do kind of want to mention. 
it's more sort of a continuity error, I would say. So in this, we see Sanji not knowing the power or the curse of the devil fruit, not being able to swim. But in Thriller Bark, there's this whole thing about Sanji having read a devil fruit encyclopedia and learning about the skeske fruit or the invisible, invisible fruit. And he has this really pervy goal of having that fruit so that he can like like peep on women, which is creepy in and of itself. And one of the things I don't like about Sanji's character. But anyways, that's a whole nother discussion. But the fact that he read this sort of encyclopedia book, you would think that this fact of devil fruit users not being able to swim would come up in an encyclopedia full of devil fruits. And yet Sanji here does not know that Luffy will not come swimming up because he's a devil fruit user. And I always thought that was a weird continuity error. Uh, and now it's obviously not a big deal. I mean, I guess you could say that either Sanji forgot because he read it when he was a little kid or somehow this book knew about all these devil fruits yet didn't know their weakness and failed to mention it. Or Sanji just has very selective reading and just went straight to the powers and didn't look up the consequences. I don't know. I, I mean, you can get away with it, but it is a weird continuity error. But yeah, that's just kind of something I always noticed. Anyways, that will do it for this episode and the spoiler section. And I just want to say thank you all for listening and I will see you later. Bye.